especially in light of COVID, things have to just move so quickly and companies have to pivot. So for me, it's just continuing to learn. Empathy is a skill that can be learned. I don't think it's a theoretical skill. Like, I don't think it's something you can learn from books, but it's certainly something that you can practice. I think collaborations become actually a little easier in a way because everyone is absolutely equal in this format. Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. I'm your host, Tom Hunt. And as technology invades every crevice of our day-to-day lives, the impetus lies on the designer to cultivate sufficient empathy with the end user to ensure the products they create continue to add value. And in today's episode, we have an awesome panel of speakers to illuminate this topic. Sharing the discussion, we have our very own star expert, Linda Rukanovich, who leads business development in the US for staff design practice. We're also joined by Christine Mara, who is an innovation director at Salesforce and has an extensive career in design and customer experience. We're also joined by Todd Simmons, a vice president of brand experience and design at IBM. And then we have our very own Agnieszka Bilovic, who is a UX design lead here at Star. And this panel will be discussing topics such as can empathetic skills be cultivated? What level of personal investment should a designer have with the product they're working with? And how much of a role does life experience play in shaping someone's ability to infuse empathy into their design process? Let's jump right into the episode. And the first voice you'll hear will be Linda, who shares a little bit more context on the discussion. So the importance of exercising empathy throughout the design process is, okay, not a new topic. And in fact, I'd even say the word empathy is becoming overused to the point where its meaning is obscured. So let's go there. Let's go right there. What does empathy really even mean? And how is it cultivated to deliver exceptional user delight with the ever-growing move from offline to online in our lives, there's more pressure on designers to create resonant experiences that stand out from the din of digital everything. And since there isn't as much dimensionality to digital as, let's say, tactical sensibility, the bar is set perhaps even higher. So considering this, is it more critical today to infuse empathy in the design process? And if so, what can we do to intrinsically understand, connect with, and evoke feeling from an increasingly diverse user base for whom we're designing? We've curated an impressive group of panelists to discuss these salient points. First, we have Agnieszka Bilevich, User Experience Design Lead here at STAR, We're also joined by Chris Morrow, Innovation Director at Salesforce. And finally, Todd Simmons, Vice President of Brand Experience and Design at IBM. It is our hope that you'll walk away with a better understanding of ways in which empathy can be used to create greater connection and experience on many levels, especially as technology continues to play a larger role in our everyday lives. 
let's meet our guests. Please take a brief moment to introduce yourself and highlight your experience. Chris, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Linda. I'm Chris Morrow. As Linda said, I'm an innovation director at Salesforce. I have a traditional graphic design background. I started, I worked most of my career at a consulting company called Siegel and Gale, where I was a member of the simplification practice. About 12 years ago, I switched over to a strategy director role. From Siegel and Gale, I went to a Alan Siegel Small consulting firm. I spent a few years at IBM. Most recently was at Prudential, and now I'm here as an innovation director in the Ignite team at Salesforce. Thank you. Agnieszka, would you like to continue? Sure. And thank you very much for inviting me today to join for what looks like going to be a very interesting conversation. So um, my name is Agnieszka Bilewicz, and I'm a UX design lead in STAR in our Polish office in Wrocław. My background is in interaction design, so in my everyday work, I focus on relationship between humans and technology. And I worked in several countries. I started out in a software house, gathered experience in agencies like Huge and IDEO. And now at Start, I work with clients from all over the globe on projects like medical devices, car HMIs, voice interfaces, or augmented reality experiences. And uh, for the last four years, I've been working with human-centered machine learning, and I've been experimenting with uh, machine learning as a design material. And in STAR, I specialize in digital health, and I'm part of our global health and wellness practice. Thank you, Agnieszka. Todd? All impressive. (laughs) My name is Todd Simmons. I am first and foremost a designer. I am also vice president of brand experience and design at IBM, which I began about six years ago as the first designer in IBM's long 110-year history to ever be brought on as an executive. Prior to that, I was on the agency side. For half of my 20 years before IBM, I was at Wolf Olin's as design lead and global principal for about half my career, uh, working on lots of different things for lots of different people. Now at IBM, I look after just about everything the brand shows its face on. So my team is involved in a lot of different things from product, both software and hardware, to environmental design and architecture and interiors program, to anything related to branding and communication, to we sort of touch almost everything but advertising. And so that's what I'm doing now. Great. Thank you. Well, let's just jump right in. So on the point of empathy, What does empathy mean to you in relation to your work and role as a designer? Agnieszka, would you like to start? It might sound a little bit like a stretch, but I would really go as far as to say that empathy for designers is craft. Skill of being able to apply the right tools and methods and behaviors to put yourself into somebody else's shoes. And it's a skill of finding something in yourself that might correlate to what another person is feeling. So even though it's not really like a hand uh, craft, it's more about your entire body that you use to actually empathize with others and to create products uh, and better products for other people. Chris, would you like to add? Sure. I think on top of everything that was just said, I have to apply a lot of empathy also within my team. So Salesforce is a pretty large matrixed company. 
And a lot of the work we do, it obviously is client facing, but it's also trying to work with other teams, knowing that they have other work to do. So I'm constantly thinking about what they're doing, how busy they are, that this is not their only thing that they're doing. So I'm constantly putting myself in everyone else's shoes, in addition to my client, also my team. I agree with both of those points. My short answer to that question is empathy to me as a designer is giving a damn. It's highly, I think it was Johnny Ives who said, you know, that Apple's success in design is a victory for giving a damn. And that's where craft comes in. I totally hear the team's point as well. But it's also, I guess, in practice about curiosity. So you can't practice empathy if you're not curious and you can't be creative without curiosity either. So it's kind of innate. I don't think it is, I too, Linda, shy of words that become dogma so fast and lose their potency. And empathy is just one of those great, big, large words and concepts. And what I don't like is, and I don't think, is that it is a phase in the process. You know, the empathy phase, I think it's just innate. And I think it's you know, when I've met and I've worked with lots of great designers over the years, one of the things that I think connects great designers that they all share in common, and I'm sure you guys do too today, is a little bit of angst and dissatisfaction with the way things are. You know, just a little bit of irritation, you know, <laughs> and you want to kind of really scratch that itch and kind of like improve things. So I think designers by, by nature and through experience are, are empathetic. You know, you're bringing up a really good point, Todd, in terms of the innateness of empathy, but let's kind of expand on that a little bit. Can empathic skills be cultivated? And is this a skill that is primarily built in through practice and experience, or can it be taught? I would first love to follow up to what's just Todd said, because I think it, it was really good. I really loved the point about the the little bit of anger that that <laughs> goes into empathy in this well. I might, you know, say it wrong because I don't remember, but one of my favorite quotes, and I think it comes from Don Quixote, goes something like, it's mad not to see the world as it is, but it, the maddest of all is to see it as it is and not as it should be. So I think it's a very, very important thing that actually connects a little bit the designers and feeds into our skills of empathy, this ability to not only understand what other people feel uh, or how other people are, but also really feel that, go into that and go beyond that and imagine how it could be better for them and us and for everybody beyond and maybe you already kind of from this point, you gathered what I might kind of answer to your next question is that I personally believe that uh, empathy is a skill that can be learned, that it's a part like a craft, something that you can practice. I don't think it's a theoretical skill. Like I don't think it's something you can learn from books, but it's certainly something that you can practice. And as you practice, you get better and better. And as you learn your tools and methods, I think it goes, it gets embedded into your work as a designer more and more. But I don't think it's something that you have to, you know, be born into, but rather something that you can basically learn to be. 
Yeah, I'll add on to that. So I do think that some people are born as natural empaths. It's something that they have within them. I think I'm a natural empath. I probably feel too much (laughs) and react. You can probably read the emotions on my face far too well. But it is also a skill you can learn constantly. to, To Todd's point, constantly questioning the status quo. Why is it this way? Why is it this way? I know working in the simplification practice at Siegel and Gale, it was empathy was a core value in our practice. We were constantly thinking, and it, these were functional communications that we were designing. The simplification practice, just to elaborate, was a group of specialists in simplifying complex communications. So back in the 90s, we probably designed every paper statement or bill you received in the mail. It gradually actually pretty quickly shifted into digital spaces. So we were, these were real world situations that I could certainly relate to trying to pay a bill, trying to figure out what a legal communication was trying to tell me. So it was a bit easier for me to understand or have empathy because I was, I am a user of those communications, but bringing someone on board, a designer on board, there's a natural sense of curiosity, but constantly asking why are things the way they are? Why do they have to be this way? You know, questioning that status quo goes a lot toward building empathy. And I remember working with, we worked with a lot of lawyers and by constantly asking questions, constantly pushing back. I remember one quote he came, he said to us after some user testing, he literally said, quote, I'm a believer. So that was really, really nice to hear. Yeah. I'm going to self-diagnose as not an empath naturally. (laughs) I think I've become more empathetic over my career. And I think that's connected to, while I did say empathy is, is somewhat innate in the way a designer thinks and works and sees the world, so is ego. And I think that ego has an important role in design too, especially in non-tactile spaces where everything washes together and there's too much of it in the first place. I would answer your question by saying yes, that I do think empathy can be taught, but what can really be taught are the checks and balances and the techniques you might apply or the tactics of applying those soft skills. But what you can't teach is caring. So even if you can teach those classes and earn those badges or whatever is, you know, popular, you know, for the next 18 months on LinkedIn, that doesn't teach you caring and it's incomplete. So that's where craft comes back in, you know, and being able to, what do you do with empathy, right? Even if you have it. So I think the answer is yes and incomplete, you know, but you can get there. Well, moving into something related to this cultivation of empathy and then, and let's say, dialing into caring and craft, how much of a role does life experience play in shaping someone's ability to infuse empathy into their design practice? I think it definitely plays a role. I will speak for myself as a woman, having faced some challenges in my career having to work through some issues. And and quite frankly, I don't think it's as easy for a woman as it is for a man to, in the professional space, it's 
it's equaling out, but I don't think it's quite there yet. I think it's been easier for me knowing these challenges and being faced with these challenges to default to, okay, I've been through challenges, so I know how it, it's probably challenging for somebody else. So I have empathy for them where things have not come quite as easy for me. So, you know, I think that it does play, definitely plays in it a role along with, you know, some people, like I said, are born natural empaths. And to Todd's point, the caring piece is something you can't, you cannot teach. So caring and being willing to step into your other shoes and making yourself vulnerable. I think vulnerability plays a role in it as well, because that does require you to drop your ego a bit, right? I'm not always right. I'm, I don't have to be right. So that plays a role along with life experience. I think it's uh, very interesting to hear uh, where you're coming from, Christine, because I think like what how I always thought about this space was quite the opposite, meaning that I'm always very wary about applying my own experience into the design process or or using it. For me, I think being a designer is a set of skills that you can develop no matter of your life situation, no matter what happened before. Like we all have certain life experiences that yes, they do usually make us in some sort better at some parts of the process. But because, you know, everybody has different ones, I feel like it, it kind of equalizes there somehow. And for me, it doesn't matter if you know had a opportunity to travel around the world or not, you still can be a great designer. Although I do understand that, you know, being able to, for example, travel and, and understand varied cultural perspective can be an asset, but I don't really see it as the most important thing in, in the process. And I think that the life experiences, and especially like maybe a certain kind of life experiences, like near-death experiences or chronic diseases, they do make you a much better design leader. And I see how they actually does that this transforms you into being a better teammate, being a better team lead, collaborating better with others. But I'm not sure if, you know, if it affects the process of the designing of the product itself. I agree completely with that answer. I've joked for a long time that I thought, I think I've been a designer my entire life of my life. You know, when I think back, I, I, so I kind of use design to kind of create the world I want to continue to step towards or into. So I don't think there's a tight correlation just be, because of your life experience. And we've all experienced a lot of things, you know, stacks of things, but I don't think that it naturally equates to empathy. Things I've experienced in my life, you would expect me to be more empathetic about now as an adult. and. It's not that I'm not concerned. It's just, it's not a plot, you know, it, it's not quite the same. What I think life experience teaches you is a lot of the other skills that you need to be a great design leader, though. It certainly teaches you resilience. It teaches you patience, openness, those things, you know, that have broadened your worldview, that feed your curiosity, that open your eyes or widen you to see more possibilities and all of that definitely contributes to your work. And then I think the other way to answer that is, does life experience, you know, play a role? Work experience definitely does. 
like Chris's comment about her team or projects that have failed or not, or surprisingly been successful, but you weren't sure, you know, things you've learned about the timing of what you do and how to play ideas and think all of that, you know, I think work experience does stack up too. I think these are all really great points. And I want to shift just a little bit to what relates to empathy for a moment. And let's talk about connection. So I'm kind of panning back a little bit, but can you tell us a moment where first emotionally engaged by either a product or an object based on its design? And if you can identify that, how did it make you feel? That's like asking someone what their favorite band is It's it, or a book or something. It's like kind of impossible. And the answer is really everything. But, you know, I get the question often, you know, what is my, if I have to pick one thing that I think is the most amazing design I've ever seen, like one. It's a strange example, and I don't even know how to title it, but it would be the U.S. highway system. Ever since I was a kid, I like, and it's probably true in other countries too, but it's so amazing to me. I love it. The aesthetics of it. I love the surveyors. I love watching it under construction. I love the little cones that are used. I love the line weight of the road dividers. I love how the decisions are made for how to curve a road, what you see out the windows, how you get around the signage, everything about it. It's like a massive system to me that's really, really held up and is providing, of course, a great user benefit. That would be on the design side. You know, I when I credit why I focus on brand, that to me goes straight back to like being a kid and skateboarding. It's like a direct line back to it because that was my first introduction to like sponsorship. And, you know, when someone would suddenly wear some obscure brand on their back, doing death-defying things, you know, there was something early in my cognition that that registered as like, wow, businesses can relate to the world in lots of different ways, not just sell products and things like that. So those are my layup answers. So my very first job out of college was at a design consulting firm. um, And I was assigned to a project to design, it was a Bank of America savings account or checking account statement. And at that point, it it never before occurred to me that there was design and thought behind those things. They were probably dot matrix printed back then. But at that point, I was like, wow, I could really have an impact on in people's lives and helping them understand some of these financial there was a, I did I've done a lot of work in financial services insurance so I thought I could really have an impact on people's lives and helping them understand these complex financial ideas we did a lot with the IRS and taxes so while that was my first entree into the simplification practice I then joined Having that experience allowed me to join the simplification practice at Siegel and Gale, where that, like I said, these were people that were passionate about rolling up their sleeves and and bringing clarity to these everyday communications that people just took for granted. What came to my mind, I think it's kind of similar to uh, Todd's example of skateboarding, because it also comes from uh, my life uh, as a kid. I do think it's almost a bit controversial to mention that on a design podcast, but I think the first thing that 
came to my mind was a Tamagotchi. <laughs> for, for those of you listening who might not know, Tamagotchi were those X-shaped devices, you know, handheld digital pets that were a huge hit in the 90s. And I remember having one as a kid and I loved that thing. I absolutely loved that thing. There was like huge emotional connection between me and, and my Tamagotchi. And the best thing uh, about it, tying to your question, Linda, about how did it make me feel, my Tamagotchi felt like responsibility. And I think that's fantastic because that actually mimics what it means to have a pet. Like when I was going to sleep, I would give my Tamagotchi to my mom because I was just so scared something is going to, you know, happen to it while I sleep. And like that I have to, you know, there's this eight hours that I can't take time to take care of it. And I, you know, I would ask her to feed it and like to make sure nothing happens and check on it every three hours. And I think this is a great example of how we can build relationship between, you know, I don't know if this is a great design example of a product, but definitely it mimics this idea of relationship that you actually have with a pet, that it's not only about, you know, smiles and fun, it's also about responsibility. And that's how my Tamagotchi felt. I would love to build on that point, if I may. How do you attempt, Agnieszka, to establish that sort of emotional connection when you're the one doing the designing? Yeah, I think I try to build and work a lot with interactional aesthetics. Uh, so beyond visual aesthetics, beyond, you know, the way the product looks or feels, but when it comes to the core relationship between the user and the product and how the system functions and what's the perspective of the product, like exactly, is it a pet or is it a dialogue partner or is it a human, is it a thing? And I think this we're not really good at that, I think, as designers still yet. Like, I think there's this, this detachment between, you know, what we are very good at, which is the visual aesthetics, and how many products still don't really nail the interaction aesthetics, just as Tamagotchi did. So we're still, like, not applying the interaction aesthetics on the level of how the system functions, not only on the uh, visual or oral or experience aesthetics. And I think this is what I try to build into my work a lot. Like I try to think about those interaction styles, interaction aesthetics, and work a lot with this while I'm designing my products to make sure that the system relationship is coupled with the what we see on the outside of the product. I don't think it's an easy thing to pull off, but it sounds like you're really dialed into that. Todd, what about you? What do you do to attempt to really establish that emotional connection, like what you felt with, you know, going back to skateboarding and seeing a logo on someone's back? How do you try to get there? Well, there's a few ways I could answer that. I mean, I think it starts with rigor. I mean, you have to really, we have a principle at IBM, you know, never delegate understanding. And it's about really going deep into kind of understanding what you do and always, always being able to provide a rational explanation. And in our case, for everything, for every little thing, it has an intentionality behind it, a reason it works in concert with other decisions we're making, a strategy. So it's about, you know, applying real rigorous techniques. I mean, we have design researchers, we have data scientists, we have all of the, the kit that we can 
pull. And I use the entire enterprise that way. So I, I kind of see like not just my team as the limit to where I can go to tap all sorts of resources inside and outside of IBM. So that's more or less how, you know, and then it's just testing. You know, I'm not a big fan of testing because there's a tension between. I used the word, and I probably used the wrong word earlier, about the role of ego in design. What I'm interested in, especially as the world is more digital, is where did the individuality go out of design? And I'm not talking about like some one person's individual aesthetic or you know sensibility. I'm talking about how do you find that for an entire company? And I think it's, in, you know, and so I've, I focus a lot on trying to kind of find that, with, whether it's IBM or someone else. At IBM, it's like, what's the IBMness? What passes the thumb test? If I put my thumb over the name or logo, what about everything else guarantees me that it's good? And what about it is identifiably IBM? Because I think, you know, there's a kind of sameness out there. And I think companies are, citizens too, and they're individuals too. And I think some of that gets a little lost in the digital space. I don't know if that was a very good answer, to be honest. It's maybe not all that easy to answer and find solutions to this. So let's go further in that sort of commitment and that curiosity, Todd, that you were mentioning. What level of personal investment should a designer have in their work? Total. And I don't mean like what personal imprint you're making on the work, you know, that thing you said, like, that's me, but I'm total commitment to its success. To me, a design, I've said it before, like a design is really only complete when the intended outcome has occurred. And I think the strange thing about the design industry is we give awards to our colleagues and our industry for their achievement right in the middle of having made something, you know, and that's being judged. But we often don't look beyond that and see if it, and that that intent could be a lot of things. It could be sales. It could be, you know, a smile on an employee's face. It could be, but as long as you had intentionality, that's the finished product. That is. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Achieving the intended or desired outcome of whatever it is you're designing is the ultimate goal, right? And I, I spend an enormous amount of time trying to understand and distill things down to their core essence to try to understand what we are, what are we trying to communicate and what's the desired outcome we want out of this, whatever communication, interaction, human interaction. So, and that takes that's not easy, right? That takes a lot of time. The outcome should probably appear easy and simple for the user, for the company, but to get there requires an enormous amount of work, an enormous amount of understanding of the subject matter, of the channel, of the medium, of your user, right? How are they thinking? How will they receive something to get to that desired outcome? I completely agree with you both, although I would also mention that there's a very tricky part around personal investment, 
I do think it's it's necessary. It's what makes the great work. I do think it's true, not only for design, like whatever field you're working on, you know, if you love what you do, if you're personally invested, the outcome is going to be better, of course. But I think especially for designers, there's a tricky part around how invested we are in the product itself and therefore how important we deem it to be when it comes to building those relationships. But back to our like previous point that we talked about, building up a relationship between user and a product, I think it's very tricky that designers sometimes act like, you know, middle school teachers where every teacher thinks that their subject is the most important one and they're the only one giving you homework and they're the only one, you know, basically giving you input into your private life and your time and everything. And designers, because we are so emotionally invested into our products, we sometimes make the same mistake and we forget that the relationship that we're trying to establish between the product and the user is not the main relationship in his life. Not always. Some of the products are going to be one of those main relationships, but there's entire big category of products that work much, much better if you design the relationship to fall a little bit behind, you know, like in especially products in areas of uh, calm technology, slow technology, you know, it's it could be a great skill to empathize with the user so much to understand that your product needs a little bit of, you know, your own detachment and to be able to detach yourself from the product itself to understand that the lack of it, if, if it's importance to the user sometimes, and that can create a better relationship for the user and the product. Let's go a little bit into how to compensate. So let's say when you're designing a feature, product, or a service, how do you compensate when your realm of knowledge or experiential understanding is a little bit of, you know, not as relatable to that which you're designing for? Would anyone like to offer feedback there? Prototyping, 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 <laughs> and prototyping. <laughs> like maybe it's because my background is in interaction design, but I, I just can't stress enough the importance of prototyping. I mentioned that, you know, I specialize in machine learning as a design material and especially working with technology. I think there's a great amount of tacit knowledge uh, that designers get through prototyping, knowledge about the material, the same as uh, carpenters, you know, have familiarity with the material of wood. Designers have to build the familiarity with the technology that they're designing for and to be able to, you know, uh, understand the product that they're going to design and the situation and everything. They, they need to go, you know, there with, get their hands dirty, prototype, get really there. So I'm a huge fan of prototyping, research through design, all those kind of hands-on activities. Another maybe way of uh, how I try to compensate for something that is outside my realm of knowledge and how I try to build empathy for my users is analogous experiences. So for example, if we're designing an MRI machine, it's not only important for you to go through the exam yourself, but also go on a roller coaster uh, where you're scared and you can't move or go into a floating capsule and experience that because that makes you really understand that the experience of an MRI is not the same for two people. Like there's nowhere 
never going to be two people for whom the experiences is, are really the same, but it lets you understand that your own experience is not necessarily the same as the one of the user. Your experience, you know, of an MRI might be, you know, very different and maybe the user that you're designing for feels a little bit closer to how you feel on a roller coaster or how you feel close in in zero gravity <laughs> capsule or something like that. So I think those analogous experiences and trying to find ways that experiences that feel similar but are not necessarily the same is also a great way to build empathy for crafting experiences, especially digital experiences. So it really comes back to empathy and it's really mimicking experience so that you can realize empathy for those that would end up using the product. Empathy, absolutely. What I enjoyed about most when I worked at a consulting company was learning, becoming a subject matter expert. I'm using that term a little loosely, but on a number of different topics, products, companies, I really enjoy, I never thought I'd know this much about financial services coming out of college as a graphic designer, but I can speak, I manage my finances a lot better than I probably would have otherwise, but I know a lot more about banking, financial services, insurance than I ever thought I would. I did work for trucking companies, you know, Johnson and Johnson products. So really spending the time, taking the time to learn about the topic, the subject, the company, so that I could be informed when I'm creating these experiences. I agree with that. You do learn vicariously through your clients, things you would not have any other pathway to know or any interest in, frankly, or need to know. I completely agree. And I would just add, it's also about in terms of compensation, like, uh, you know, I think it's knowing very, very well what you don't know, but knowing who does. So a lot of the work, I mean, at IBM or, you know, I, we were like this as a studio at, at Wolf Olin's too. We were very curatorial in how we built programs. So we, you know, once you can kind of drop the, the need to kind of author everything and bring the right people together, that's one way you can kind of like compensate for your own lack of understanding or capability. Makes sense. And then the final question, what excites you most about the future of design? I will speak, what excites me most, me personally, is continuing to learn. Going back to my answer on becoming, again, I'm not going to use the word subject matter expert, but really learning about new things. I've been at Salesforce just over a year and oh my gosh, there's so much I get to learn. So many different people I get to work with and learn from. The pace at which things move here is so fast, but the people, the technology, the industry, not just the technology industry, but the industry I'm working specifically again in financial services, understanding how that is changing as we're moving forward, especially in light of COVID. Things have to just move so quickly and companies have to pivot. So for me, it's just continuing to learn. My answer is sort of connected to that. I mean, I think in order to be creative, you need raw material and we're surrounded by it, <laughs> raw material to work with. And I think the other thing I'm, I've been kind of, I've had kind of the opposite reaction to the pandemic and all of this working in isolation. I've on two levels. One is 
I think collaborations become actually a little easier in a way because everyone is absolutely equal in this format. And, you know, whether I'm dealing with an SVP or a CEO or like, or an intern, it's like everybody, it kind of just, there's an immediacy and intimacy to the medium that I think is leveling. And so collaborate, I've never felt more connected to my team or broadened my sort of colleague base as much as I have over this time. The other thing from a design standpoint that I'm excited about is the ingenuity going on to work around some of the challenges of production and creativity, the way people are kind of turning, you know, it into a creative exercise to kind of work around, I think is is actually producing some better results than the other way around. That's kind of happening every day. And I'm pretty excited about that. For me, I think it would be the wave of human-centered thinking that we're bringing to emerging technologies. I think, as I mentioned previously, I'm very excited about, you know, human-centered AI and issues of explainability and supervised learning. And I think a lot of those uh, technologies and new methods that we are, are developing right now are going to enable us to craft the relationships between products and uh, and users differently and to allow for a more gradual build of the trust and understanding and therefore promoting more of the human participation in the field, which seems uh, seems like a great goal to me. I'm very excited about that. Great. So I'd say that's pretty much a wrap. I really want to thank you, Chris and Todd and Agnieszka, for your indelible insights and perspectives on empathy in the design process. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. I must also thank our four panelists, Linda, Christine, Todd, and Agnieszka for coming onto the show and sharing their wisdom about empathy in design. Before we finish, if you could just head to Apple Podcasts and leave us some honest feedback about how we're doing with the show, that would be amazingly valuable for us. And finally, of course, I want to thank you for listening.